Welcome to the Safe and Sound Protocol podcast, a polyvagal theory informed therapy. I'm your host, Joanne McIntyre. Here we talk everything polyvagal and SSP related. Dr. Porges has provided us with a revolutionary framework for understanding the connection between our autonomic nervous system and behavior. The SSP acoustic intervention is an exciting new therapy helping people all around the world. Welcome to episode six. Today, I'm so happy to be able to share my interview with Deb Dana. Deb definitely lives by her polyvagal teachings. So listen in for a personal share on my site, which will let you know just how generous and polyvagal she is. So without further ado, Deb Dana is a licensed clinical social worker, a clinician and consultant specializing in working with complex trauma and is a consultant to the Traumatic Stress Research Consortium in the Kensley Institute. She developed the Rhythm of Regulation clinical training series and lectures internationally on ways polyvagal theory informs work with trauma survivors. Deb is the author of The Polyvagal Theory in Therapy, Engaging the Rhythm of Regulation, Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection, the creator of the Polyvagal Flip Chart and co-edited with Stephen Porges, Clinical Applications of the Polyvagal Theory, the Emergence of Polyvagal Informed Therapies. Take one. Uh, well, welcome, Deb Dana. Um, thank you so much for coming and spending your time today to be on the Safe and Sound Protocol podcast. Um, I'm really looking forward to all the information that we get to share today and I know our listeners will find it very valuable. Um, so I thought maybe we'll just start with you sharing a little bit of your background of how you came to kind of be where you are now with your journey with uh, polyvagal theory and how you came to actually write your book. Mm, sure, sure. Yes, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I live in Maine and Today we are in the middle of a snowstorm, which is kind of lovely here. So I'm enjoying watching the snow fall out the windows. Um, it, since, since I first became a social worker, I've always been interested in um, brain and body systems. I think as therapists, we are um, contacting our clients' brains and bodies all the time. And it felt to me like it would be helpful to understand how to intentionally be shaping those systems. Um, so when I read um, Steve's book on polyvagal theory, it was as if a, a piece of the puzzle came into place that I hadn't known was missing. I was well versed in brain science, but here was this nervous system, this platform that that is the the foundation of our lived experience that all of a sudden was was there for me to understand and begin to engage with. Um, so you know, it sort of started there and. Steve and his wife Sue came in and did a, a really beautiful two-day workshop here in Maine for my, my colleagues and, and um, the group I was working with at the time. And Steve and I got to know each other. And I had just started experimenting with what's now my, my ladder map for um, autonomic mapping. And he was um, very um, supportive of it and very intrigued with what I was doing to bring the theory into clinical application. So he was encouraging of of my continuing to do that. Um, he had invited me to co-edit a 
book with him, The Clinical Applications of Polyvagal Theory, which was a collection of um, chapters from people around the world who are bringing polyvagal theory into their work in a variety of ways. And from that jumping off point, um, I wrote my own book, um, The Polyvagal Theory and Therapy, um, which um, has you know, really helped not only therapists, but um, clinicians of all sorts and just what I call you know, normal, regular, curious human beings begin to get to know their nervous systems and map their, their systems, which is the foundation for beginning to work with your system is to have a map and you know, be able to know where am I so I know where I need to, to go next. So that really has been, been my journey. The, the second book, Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection, will be out um, in a couple of months. And that's sort of the continuation of this journey I'm on. So it's, it's really been, been a fun, fun experience. Mm-hmm. And don't you have another book coming out as well, um, a flip book, where you talk about some of the different... Yes, I do. I have a, a, a flip chart, which I, I'm very excited about. That will be out um, a couple of months after this second book. And really what it is, it's, it's a, um, it's a, it's a um, spiral-bound um, chart that's, you know, a large-sized chart that you can have out and, and it, the pages will bring the states of the nervous system to life and, and um, the vagal break and cues of safety and danger and the maps and everything will be right there for you to um, refer to, to use with your clients, to, to you know, have out in to sort of prompt conversation. So I, I'm very excited about, about that, yes. Mm, that sounds like a very valuable tool that mm-hmm. a lot of practitioners will find very helpful Yes. In their yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And I know you have a background in internal family systems. Mm-hmm. Therapy as, as I do. Yeah. Can, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about what that is then? Sure. Internal family systems is a model of um, parts, parts and self, you know, sort of with that um, understanding that we are all made up of um, lots of different parts. It's a normal experience to have parts inside we often talk in parts language like there's a part of me that is really looking forward to have this conversation today and there's another part of me that's a little anxious that that will you know that i'll say the right thing and so we, we talk parts all the time um you know for me i'm a certified internal family systems therapist so it is the home base for me and as i add the polyvagal perspective to the internal family systems way of working, I really find that it's, um, um, it's more robust and it benefits from understanding that these states that our body goes in and out of are really where our parts are living. And so it, it helps understand sort of the environment that our parts are, are, are in, the air they're breathing, where, where, they're, where they are inside our system. So yeah, internal family systems is, is a really lovely um, model of therapy. Yeah, and I think that is so. That is what's so nice about the polyvagal theory, and I think especially how you put put it together and present it, mm-hmm. that it can be blended into so many different approaches. You know, like you know, somatic experiencing, and 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 you can kind of connect it in with that that language. Is that what you're found as well? Yes. Yeah, and polyvagal um, theory in the way that I've developed it to use um, in 
therapy is really um, a foundation that sits under other models of therapy. The, the principles can be embedded in other models of therapy. So it's, it's not a competition to, you know, it's, it's a um, collaboration with, which, which is lovely. I get emails all the time from therapists who are trained in a variety of, of models. And, and that's, you know, the experience that I'm hoping they have is what they're telling me they're having, that no matter what the model of therapy is there, they've been trained in this really um, adds to it. So, so I love that. I think that's, and I know that's what Steve really um, wants and has in mind that this is, that this is an approach that can embed in, in anything. And outside of therapy, if, you know, if we want to talk for a minute, you know, polyvagal approach, you know, informs the medical world, the, the, the academic world, the legal world, the, the political world, any of those places, because we all have a nervous system and it's our nervous systems in connection that are fueling all of these um, other places, these other systems, these organizations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think, like we're talking about how, you know, how it can be blended into so many different sort of therapy approaches. And I think that's why it's so important for practitioners to know that, particularly practitioners who are using um, the Safe and Sound Protocol as a main mode of intervention that those Dr. Cordes really talked about, that the protocol encompasses two components. You know, one is creating that um, environment or that sense of safety and the actual acoustic protocol itself. And I think the polyvagal um, and all the principles that I know that we're going to unravel as we talk about um, how yes. you really talk yes. about it today, mm -hmm. yep. the practitioners to help weave into creating that space and looking at neuroception right. and what's really going on and, and so clients can really maximise the most out of right. that acoustic intervention. Right. right. So with that, because I was wondering, the, oh, sorry, go on. I just wanted to say that the safe and sound protocol is a you know an acoustic intervention and it's it's a person who is doing the listening but it still is a dyadic mm -hmm. intervention it, it's a it's an experience between the listener and the person who is there with the listener so those two nervous systems are in connection they're they're in relationship and, and that's why i think it's so important for both the person who's listening and the person who's supporting um, to understand you know the the principles of polyvagal because that's what's at work in 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 those listening moments. Yeah. So with that, share with us how you teach polyvagal theory. All right, let's let's do the the, the brief version of, <laughs> of the well, organizing they principles. To an hour. <laughs> right, right, right. So so. It, Three organizing principles is, is what I um, what I boiled it down to and, and teach neuroception, hierarchy, and co-regulation. So we'll just take them one at a time and briefly talk about them. Neuroception is um, the way the nervous system system detects cues of safety and danger without our conscious awareness, because the nervous system, although it does have connections to the cortex and upper brain structures is really a brain stem and down system. So it's below the level of our conscious awareness, um, running in the background, so to speak. And neuroception is always listening to three streams of information. 
It listens inside the body to listen to what's going on in your viscera and your organs, your muscles, your heart. It's listening outside in the actual physical environment that you're in. And then it's listening between. It's listening between your nervous system and any other nervous systems around you. So that inside, outside, and between is always sending information. But we don't tune into that information unless we intentionally put our attention there. So we might feel the outcome of neuroception. We might feel a move to run away or feel um, um, a sense of anger rising. But we don't know where that came from until we go back and tune in to neuroception. And so what we call that is we bring perception to neuroception. So perception is inviting the brain and those wonderful cortical abilities to focus on the nervous system and to hear what are the cues of safety and danger. So that's the first step is to bring perception to neuroception. So second organizing principle is hierarchy. And what Steve really developed in his theory he showed us is that our nervous system is divided into three basic parts. We have um, the oldest part of our nervous system, which is called dorsal vagus. And it's the part of our nervous system that has been around for about 500 million years. Um, and it takes us into um, collapse, immobilization, some form of disappearing. Um, if you like to think about ancient tortoises, um, they have that um, capacity to um, go inside their shells and disappear. That's sort of what we think of when we think of this dorsal vagal response. We, we get very, we, we, we just get invisible. We, we know it's not safe to be seen. Right, so that's dorsal vagal survival response. Um, it's also that death feigning that you see um, in animals sometimes, where they they um, play dead, and then when the danger's over, they come back to life. That's dorsal vagal experience. When the dorsal vagal system is not in a survival response, when it's simply doing its everyday job in our system. It helps run our digestion in, in healthy ways. So you can see it's an important part of the nervous system for health and well-being. That's the oldest. If we move up one level in this hierarchy, we find the sympathetic nervous system. About 400 million years ago, that came into being. And so it's layered on top of the dorsal vagal system. And sympathetic um, brings us mobilization and fight and flight. So to survive, instead of just having to become immobile and disappear, we now have the capacity to also be aggressive or run away. So it's an action-taking survival response. And when it's not doing its survival duties, it just helps with our breath rhythms and our heart rhythms, and it gives us energy to, to you know, move through the day, to play, to dance, to move, to be passionate, all of that. that. That comes from your sympathetic mobilizing energy. So again, a survival response and a regular everyday healthy response. So the last section of our nervous system, the, the most um, recent state 
to come online about 200 million years ago is the system called ventral vagal. And this is the system that allows us to connect with others and communicate and move through the world feeling regulated, balanced. It's where healthy homeostasis lives. And the, the interesting thing about the ventral vagus is that um, when it is overseeing the system, so I like to think when ventral vagus is giving sympathetic and dorsal a, a warm hug, all the systems work just the way they're supposed to. It's only when ventral vagus um, goes offline, which it does when our system feels a threat that it can't manage, a challenge that's too big for our system to use communication and connection and social engagement to, to manage. Ventral vagal goes offline and then you can see the hierarchy come into play because we go into sympathetic, fight or flight. And if that doesn't resolve the challenge, we end up in dorsal. And I think yeah. you explain that so nicely in your book because I know um, in my, even in my learning process in um, understanding the polyvagal, you kind of started to get caught up in more of the, the defensive responses and you really highlight in the, in the book that these, as part of our biology, our autonomic nervous system, that's always it's maintaining our homeostasis. So there are yes. important healthy functions that they're performing all the time, but we have these shifts based on neuroception, mm -hmm. perceptions of threat, that they will then respond um, how the nervous system perceives appropriate to adapt exactly. to that time. And you explain that beautifully in the book. Mm -hmm. And now as well. Well, you just explained <laughs> it beautifully. You just did that beautifully as well. That's, that's, that's mm -hmm. lovely. Yes, we, we don't want to forget those mm -hmm. lovely everyday um, responses that the um, nervous system you know has that, that sympathetic and dorsal bring absolutely and even when we move into a survival response we want to put the word adaptive in front of it because the nervous system is serving your safety by bringing this response and there's a cue of danger that has brought this response to life. And when we see it that way, we can begin to stop feeling such self-criticism and we can stop feeling shame and we can stop blaming others for their response. We could see, oh, it's their biology that has taken them to this place and be curious about what's the cue of danger, be compassionate, how might I help them find enough safety to come back? Mm. It definitely helps create a different narrative, doesn't it? A different way of interacting and a different way of really perceiving the behaviour. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Yes, it's a very different narrative, as you say. It's, you know, um, they're, they've moved into a survival state and we can be curious about why. It changes the whole conversation, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So one more organising principle, co-regulation which you know, probably should be first. I always seem to put it third, but it is you know, the, the biological necessity to be in safe connection with another, another mammal, right? That, another human being. We have that need and we suffer when um, co-regulation, safe co-regulation isn't available for us. Um, in our world nowadays, and, and I think in, in the therapy world especially, we, we often talk about, you know, independence and self-regulation with our clients, um, forgetting that 
um, healthy self-regulation emerges with enough experiences of safe co-regulation. And many of us, many of our clients um, have missed having enough experiences of safe co-regulation in order to then be able to safely self-regulate. So co-regulation is vitally important. And that's again, where we talk about our nervous systems are having a conversation, right? I am sending you cues of safety and hopefully you're receiving them and then you're sending cues back to me, right? Through our social engagement system, which is what safe and sound protocol, you know, really contacts the social engagement system. But for you and me right now, our eyes, our voice, our head turn and tilt, our smiles, all of that is, is our, our nervous systems reaching out to find safe connection. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, then you so those are the three organizing principles, mm -hmm, which, you know, sort of the, the, the shorthand version of polyvagal, but, you know, it's, it's, if we just keep those in mind, right, because they're working all the time. Neuroception, we are somewhere on that hierarchy all the time. And, and I would, I suppose, put in here that the goal is not to be in ventral all the time. That's not the goal. That, that would be unrealistic. Couldn't do it. And probably not, not healthy because there are times when we need to have a survival response. It, it's appropriate. It's going to help save us from an experience. So it's not that we get pulled out of ventral that causes problems. It's when we get pulled out and get stuck in a survival response and can't find our way back to regulation. That's the problem. That's when we suffer. And I think that that flexibility that we can move, and I know you will talk about more later on, is, is the ladder and that flexibility of moving up and down through the ladder or through the different vagal states to meet the demands of the, you know, the environmental demands of the time. And some of our clients get stuck, as you say, in either one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So our job is to help yeah. make them feel safe yes. so they've got that ability to transition Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 these rigid habitual response patterns that cause us to suffer both physically and psychologically. We suffer with that, and, and it's this, you know, as you said, the flexibility of response that brings well being. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and just because this is coming to my mind, I just wanted you to, to touch on it because you did bring up when we first started talking about the impact of, of polyvagal within the legal system and and just speak a bit of it because really the work about dorsal vagal survival responses has really been groundbreaking in the legal system but also obviously yes. for the survivors yeah. sense yeah. of you know empowerment yeah 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 right right yeah yeah i think that you know especially in the legal world um people who have gone into that collapse immobilized in order to survive response have been um judged as um you know not 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 fighting not not trying um not so they've they've been treated um in that blaming way and have felt the the weight of people's judgment you know everybody says you know why didn't you fight you know and we have this sense that oh i would have fought 
right? You know, we have no idea because our nervous system makes that judgment for us. So you may say, I would have fought, but you have no idea what would happen until you're in that situation. So, the, the, you know, as Steve mapped the dorsal vagal response, he really brought um, into awareness this um, pathway, this oldest autonomic pathway that, that activates when there is a neuroception of life threat and um, really helps people survive. You know, it's that sort of the path of last resort, right? I'm going to, you know, the nervous system will immobilize so it might live to fight another day so that it can survive the experience. And that has been a huge um, um, change in the legal system as, as hopefully more judges and lawyers are beginning to understand that this is a, a, a human response that, that's not chosen and that is in service of survival. And I guess the other place I'd like to just add to that is in, in um, schools, in school settings, because often um, the kid that gets sent to therapy is the kid who has this sympathetic, you know, acting out response. But we want to really um, look for and have started to really begin to um, support and find the kids who are sitting quietly who the teacher, you know, will say, well, they're no problem because they never, they never act out. They never, you know, cause a problem. They, they just sit quietly. To begin to be curious, is that kid really present, attending from a ventral vagal state of being there? Or has that, that kid gone into a dorsal vagal um, disappearing mode where they're not even there? So, yeah, dorsal vagal um, understanding has really begun to bring um, really powerful changes to the ways we, we see people and then support people. I'm so glad you brought up education. I was going to segue us a little bit there as well because, yeah, a student who's gone into shutdown mode but then they're being ridiculed, you know, sitting at home doing their homework and why are you trying hard enough? You know, you just got to put more effort in. You just need to and they're just, they're not hearing, they're not reachable and they're even going even further into, into right. shutdown mode. Yeah. Very yeah. yeah, and, and that's I love what you've said, you know, the judgments that, that we make, you know, that parents make about our kids, that we make about other other people. You know, the nervous system doesn't make meaning, right? It simply acts to support survival and, and however it feels safety is needed. It's we humans that make up the story about that, whether I'm making a story up about myself and being self-critical or I'm making up a story about the other person and, and judging them for not trying hard enough or you know, not wanting it badly enough. If you think about people in recovery who have a relapse and the judgments that we make about those people, um, when if we could look at them and say, wow, their biology just took them to a survival state and this is the outcome of that, we'd have a very different way of connecting with, with people. And I know um, when we've spoken before, you have you have a really lovely example of really um, talking how state, then our brain creates stories based on that state. Um, mm -hmm. Put you on the spot again, sure. so if you can think of an example to help. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. We can we can probably come up with our own right now because <laughs> it is it is one of the it's one of the um, exercises. It's one of the skills, the practices that I um, teach because I think it's a really valuable 
um, exercise to, to understand that, that when we're in a, a state, we only have access to the energies that are in that state. And so the story is going to be based on those energies. So from, from um, sympathetic, the story has to be one of danger and me against you, right? Um, that's, that's the only possibility. It can't be a story of connection because I'm in, a in this survival state. And from dorsal vagal, the story is one of I'm alone and um, you don't exist, right? So again, you can't be a story of connection because I'm floating out there somewhere, disappeared, and you don't even exist. So it's only from ventral that we can have a story of connection, a connection to others, to ourselves, to the world, and to spirit. So what I like to do um, is, is take a very simple um, experience and look at it through the three states and we try to take something that's just really easy because you know we don't want to activate the system too much um, at the moment so um, I, I would you be willing to yeah yeah so because it, it you know I know we're we're telling the story about our experience here but <laughs> we could you the experience that happened after we we could yes. let people know this is our second time this is our do-over yes. right yes it's yeah after and we can tell that yeah. story <laughs> it's a yeah. human story mm -hmm. it is so so you know we had this lovely you know recorded webinar or we had this lovely webinar <laughs> a couple of weeks ago that didn't get recorded Right. And so if you look at that, I'll look at it and you look at it, but you look at it first, look at it, you're, you're through your sympathetic nervous system. What was the story that came to you about that? Well, actually, as soon as I realized immediately when we disconnected and I didn't get my um, screen coming up to show that this is now downloading to be recorded to my files, I didn't even go to sympathetic. I pretty much plunged down into dorsal vagal and immediate self-negative talk of how could I be so incompetent? How could um, I mess up and, yeah. mess and disengage the record button and then went to what is right. Deb going to think of me? She's going to think I'm not professional. And... Um, and I felt like going and curling up on my bed and just like, right. I don't want to deal right. with it. Give it up. Like, I, I don't want to deal with it. Give yeah, it up. What am I doing this for? I'm obviously not cut out right. for it. And I just wanted to curl yeah. up and just like, I don't want to see anyone for the rest yeah. of the day. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I pretty much right. plunged down to... Yeah. So, but a, and I wonder if, as you were going down through, if some of that, oh my God, what would Deb think about me? How could I be so stupid? If that had some of that sympathetic flavor to it, on your way to, um, I'm going to give it up. I can't possibly. I don't know. It, it just it had when you were talking about it, it felt like ooh that felt a little, little of that energized self critic was there. It was definitely self critic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at it from ventral, if we come to ventral and look at the same experience from a mm -hmm. ventral vagal regulated place, what's the story? Mm -hmm. You know, we're all human, that we make mistakes. You know, technology is technology and it's easy to press a button. And 
know, we came online, we got so engaged, I didn't think to go and double check again. And I know you're a lovely person and yeah. I know you'd be empathetic for me and think, oh my gosh, Joanne, this must be feeling so down on herself. I don't need to I don't need to send her any bad energy because she's probably already feeling bad about it herself. Yeah, yeah. So you see, just a different state brings a very different story. Mm-hmm. You know, when when I got the email from you, my um my sympathetic system went, Oh my god, you know, how are we gonna fix this? It was that fix it, fix it energy. And then my dorsal went to, Oh my god, I don't think I have any energy or time to do this again. Mm-hmm. And then my ventral energy went to you know, there's some things I think I'd like to do differently, so I'm kind of happy that it happened. <laughs> so see, there you go. You know, and, and what I tell people when we do this very simple exercise is that we got to remember we have at least three stories going at all the time, right? And what it really is, is which state is, is most active, because that's the story that you're going to hear. And then when you know there are two other stories, it, you can then listen in and see what are the other stories. Even when I'm in ventral and, and you know, having some, you know, relief that, oh, we get to do it again, it's still useful to listen to the sympathetic and dorsal story, mm-hmm. right? Just to hear what, what are they saying? Because mm-hmm. these are all part of what is making up our, our system, right? So, yeah, listening to three stories is a simple practice that I would encourage, you know, all of, all of your listeners to kind of try on for size and see what see what they hear yeah i like that yeah yeah so everyone listening i have a big shout out thank you to to deb to so graciously within two and a bit weeks of coming back on board to give me her time again so yeah (laughs) and And, i I know it's recording because that little red thing is going around (laughs) we are good (laughs) exactly make sure at the end when we're done today so when you said there was maybe a few things extra you wanted to get to make sure that we don't miss out getting over it to yes, today. Yes. Um, yeah. So going through, um, we've gone through the, the hierarchy. So again, in sort of teaching, then you move to, to self-awareness through mapping. Am I right? Is that kind of the learning yes. process you like? Yes. yes. Yeah. So mapping um, really is um, the, the essential skill we, we need we need to know where we are we need to be able to notice the state and name it and understand oh here's what happens to me when i am in ventral sympathetic and dorsal so for me i created um actually three maps in a series the first one that we can talk about first is the personal profile map and what i did was i use a ladder because um, it seems to be easy for people to understand it gives rungs so that you know that they're you know, nuances within a state. It's not just one state to the next. You, you move uh, ventrals at the top of the ladder, and then you move down the sympathetic and the bottom is dorsal. And you can feel yourself moving down and up the ladder um, throughout the day. You know, we do it in, in small ways. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we do it in really big, big ways. Um, so the top of the ladder, the ventral state um, on, on the map, the first thing we get to know is, you know, what happens in your body when you're in that place? What are some of the, your feelings, your, your emotional feelings? What are some of the things you think about? What are some of the things you say? And what are some of the things you do? And so we'll do that for um, all three states. 
ventral sympathetic dorsal. And we fill in two sentences um, for each state. And again, this is sort of the, the story of the state. Again, it's, it's identifying the core beliefs that are running your system when you are in these states. So, and those two sentences are the world is and I am. And so from sympathetic, um, the world is, is often something, you know, common responses are chaotic or um, confusing or I can't, um, the world is um, um, too busy, you know, or filled with too many people and I am lost or I am um, out of control, those sorts of, you can feel the energy of the sympathetic system when you get those down in dorsal. The world is, it's often, you know, the world is, is doesn't exist or the world is, is dark um, and I am alone, right? It's those sorts of feelings. You can feel it even when I say it, you can mm -hmm. feel the difference in the energy. And then from ventral, you get these lovely, you know, the world is, is beautiful or the world is organized or the world is, you know, a happy place to be or the world is safe. And I am, you know, doing fine. I am appreciated and accepted. I'm seen. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a part of, those are the kinds of things you get from ventral. And when clients, you know, or anybody filling out the map, um, fills in those two sentences, you can see their, their, their cognition begin to go, oh my goodness. Yes. Now I understand why when I'm not in ventral, I can't have any of these feelings, not because I don't want to, but my biology won't let me, right? My biology has taken me to this other place on my map. So once we have that first map, then the question becomes, where are you on your map, right? That's sort of the, the, the question we keep going back to, notice and name. Notice where you're on your map, give it a name. And then when we build that skill, then we add the third step, notice, name, turn towards. Can you turn towards that state for a moment? Just listen for a moment just for a moment, because there's a reason why that state has come alive, whichever state it is. So that's sort of the basic practice in order to, I call it befriending your nervous system, right? We, we begin to befriend our nervous system. And, and, and when we know how to work with it, um, we know how it works, we know how to work with it. So that's really, really what we're doing. So that's the first first map and then the second map that I do love dearly is the triggers and glimmers map um, which helps people identify so the triggers are what takes me to you know survival response to sympathetic fight flight or to dorsal shutdown disconnect and the glimmers are what are those moments when I come to ventral so and and you know we want to be, be really um, careful to not just focus on the dysregulated moments, but to remember in the course of a day, we all have these glimmers, right? No matter how trauma saturated our life is or, or how difficult a moment we are in, you know, if we're in a phase of life that feels really difficult, we also have these glimmers. And so that's, a, that, that's reminding people that our nervous systems are doing this all the time, that their nervous systems are, have the ability to notice those micro moments of, of ventral connection. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think some people those glimmers are small, but they're there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's helping them to help identify those as well, isn't it? 
Mm. Yes. Yeah. It's that noticing them that really is, is important. And, you know, I tell my clients cause you know, my, my client population really was complex trauma survivors and would always tell them um, just because we notice a glimmer does not mean that we're not paying attention to all of the triggers and all of the dysregulating moments. It means that we are really honoring the way your nervous system can do both. And it's a reminder that those glimmers are available for us, but we don't see them unless we look for them, right? Just micro moments. And glimmers are often um, not with not with people. They're often moments in nature or moments with, with pets, even a, a moment of, of um, you know, a spiritual connection. But there are glimmers that, that are there. Yeah. Yeah. I have to share that um, through the, the different online Facebook forums um, that we actually have a book group going on right now that is studying your book. And oh, yes, lovely. So it's been really nice. I think there's about 15 to 18 participants. Mm. And most of the participants uh, are using the Second Sound Protocol uh, as well. So it's, it's nice to sort of have that where they're going to start to embed this language in to help support um, the protocol. Yeah. But we actually, last week, we did our own personal mapping. And um, oh. and I have to share, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a very self-awareness, enriching experience. And mm -hmm. I think then what it helps to build, because even though I've been learning about polyvagal for quite some time through you know, my involvement in ILS, doing a task like that just builds even more of that self-awareness and then that noticing where you're at in different times throughout the day and then helping you then to restory what you think how you might actually respond so um, i definitely encourage people to 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 do that um, and i know you teach that that's part of what you do in your life workshops isn't it so i think it's Yes. It's very powerful. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, the, the workshops are very experiential because mm -hmm. really puzzle theory is is a theory that you need to learn from the inside out. Mm -hmm. You can't learn it from the top down. It's not a brain thing that you learn and then do. It's a it's an experience. It's because we have to know our own nervous systems so that we can be regulated to offer cues of safety to other nervous systems. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's whether it's the therapy relationship or whether it's my relationship with my partner or kids or colleagues or friends or, you know, just the person I meet on the street, my nervous system is sending out cues every moment and you know, I can be responsible for what those cues are, right? When I can understand my own map and be able to, to find my way back to ventral which you know is that third map in the series is the regulating resources map it's and it helps people identify both things they do with others for co-regulating resources and things we do by ourselves for self-regulating because we need both again this is another one of those both fans we need both and to begin to really identify what are some of the things i can do to help shape my system differently and to help bring my system back to ventral and I think that's why polyvagal is such a hopeful theory because we have shown, research has shown that you actually are bringing more ventral capacity into your system. You know, you're, you're bringing more ability to 
stay in ventral, come back to ventral, um, be a cue of safety for others. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a lovely, lovely thing to think about. And the SSP, you know, acoustic you know, intervention is helping do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And additionally, then what I think through that experience of mapping your own and that felt that lived experience brings that more positive intention then as a practitioner to bring that into your practice because you've seen how it's yes. how you've lived it yourself in your own experience so then to bring that awareness to help your clients um yes. comes from a felt sense of well i know this works for me myself i've experienced it so exactly exactly and i think yeah. not only well, i think this is very powerful obviously not only with clients with trauma but for families, for parents who who are working with children from on the spectrum, or children who do have a trauma background as well, as you said, mm. it's nervous system to nervous system. So if right. a parent is walking around in a more sympathetic state, and they're wondering why their child is always in fight and flight, then right. that the child's nervous system is listening to their parents. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, yeah. It was just. Um, doing some some work I'm gonna you know present a, a short workshop and considering you know what we call intergenerational um, transmission of trauma and you know looking at it through the polyvagal lens what you were saying is is exactly what's happening if, if the parents are dysregulated then they can't offer the safe regulation for the children and then the children find their own dysregulated safe place to be and take that into their lives and then it keeps getting passed down and if we look at the parents who are dysregulated and look at the generation before them we likely see dysregulated nervous systems in in that generation so it's it's interesting to think of um, mm -hmm. that passing down in that way and you know the interruption of that the change in that is when nervous systems get regulated because then we can offer that to the next generation. So it's interesting you say that because I'm curious for the next generation, when this generation now has been a lot more of those times of connection, sometimes dinner time, it's too busy because people are overbooked with after school activities. So yeah. there's not that face to face dinner time connection. Everyone plonks right. down in front of it used to be years ago in front of the T V, now it's everyone got is on their own device. All the little um, device, right? Yeah, and communication is happening. Often it's a parent who's still looking and checking texts while their child's telling them about their day. So that starts that whole, I'm not really attuned yep. to listening. And I think that awareness the parents need to know that they think that the day-to-day -day of life stresses of mortgages and you know deadlines for work and all that that they're carrying, that's just the norm. But there's certainly neuroception to neuroception sending messages. Well, my nervous system really isn't engaged to be with you um, because I've got right. all this stuff right. going on. Right. I'm curious right. to see how, yeah, all that pans out. Yeah, yeah. Can, you know, the story we can make up is, you know, mm -hmm. what you said. This is just day to day, whatever. But the that's just the cognitive story, but the autonomic story is one of, wow, you're, you're not, you're not present for me. I'm not seen. I'm not valued. I'm not, not heard. And, and that translate to, I'm not sure I'm safe. Right. So yeah. Yeah. We, we, you know, with a polyvagal informed 
way of, of working. We're listening to the autonomic story because that's really what we want to be working with. You know, is, am I sending you cues of safety so that you know that you are important to me and that and you are seen and, mm -hmm. and safe, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes. Yes, we need to get this out more into like the parenting community. So parents mm -hmm. sort of really look at it, even people who are neurotypical, you know, but then they still have kids who are adolescents who are behaving yes. in certain ways. And, and mm -hmm. is it not just the child, but is it the parents and the parents' dynamics in life? Yeah, 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 and I do. I I would, you know, reference um, the work on rupture and repair, mm -hmm. and Ed Tronic's beautiful work on family, you know, parent-child dynamics because it it can feel like a heavy responsibility, and and parents can think, oh my God, I've ruined my child because I, you know, I didn't pay attention. So you know, just to put out there the 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 data, the research that. You know, you only have to be in that attuned place, in, in a match in that 30% um, of the time, okay? It's that the other 70%, you recognize that you have been in a mismatch and you go make a repair, right? So you don't have to do it perfectly 100% of the time. You, you just, you show up in, in that match 30% of the time, but the times that you're not there, you go, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I'm putting my phone down and now I'm here with you. You make a repair, you name it, and you make the repair. So, you know, it still is a responsibility because you have to be wise to your system and you have to make the repair. But I want parents to know you, you haven't ruined your child just because you, you know, have been in those moments of rupture. And in fact, the research now tells us that rupture and repair builds a more resilient system. That being in attunement 100% of the time doesn't allow for rupture and repair that builds resiliency. So just put that out there for a little hopefulness, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, we all know that the nervous system is very plastic, yes. brain and autonomic nervous system. So the more we start to build in those yeah. moments of connection and regulation, then it just yeah. continues yeah. to happen there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because then my expectation becomes that, you know, yes, we have ruptures, but we make repairs. We, we, you know, come back together and that becomes the way I begin to, to move through the world with that autonomic expectation that, you know, it will turn out okay. And that's, that's really a lovely thing that we want to carry for ourselves and then help our, our children and our you know partners and friends carry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So was there anything else you wanted to add about the mapping process, that learning process at all? Um, no, I love that your book group is doing it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think, I, I guess I would say, I truly do think it, it, it's kind of a fun process, mm -hmm. um, kind of painless, you know, you get to know yourself and my, you know, my wish would be if everybody had a map, had their personal profile map and then, um, because it creates a language too, you know, if, if you and your family all have your own maps, you can begin to have that conversation. Oh, mom, I think you, you think you're kind of not quite anchored in your ventral system, right? <laughs> and then, you know, I could, I wonder what you need right now, right? So, you know, I, you know, my work is with, you know, with, with clients, but I would always um, invite my clients to share 
the mapping process with the people around them. And I always loved it when clients would say, well, can I bring my fill in the blank with me next week? My, my husband, my partner, my wife, my kids, my next door neighbor, whoever, so that they can do this with me. Absolutely. You know, it's that sort of um, rippling out process with this, this map that is really, um, I think, powerful in creating that different way of connection. Mm. Yeah. Actually, um, I had placed on Facebook that I was going to be speaking with you and, um, and a practitioner posted and shared that, um, that she started to embed using mapping in her practice. And she's an ethical practitioner, but she said just the self-awareness and the moving forward that their clients have made now using that, this language has just, yeah. enriched outcomes even more so, yeah, yeah. So I love it yeah I love hearing those stories yeah, yeah. sure yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and it's you know as you know it's a it's a fairly simple um thing to do to create your map but incredibly powerful so I hope people will create their maps that, that'd be my hope yeah yeah keep spreading the word isn't it mm-hmm mm-hmm so also in the book, towards the end of the book, you um, include some meditation as, yeah, as, yeah. as well. Um, my journey with meditations really has been evolving over the, the last year. Um, oh. And so uh, so now with you know, ILS you know, being brought many owners with tonight and experiencing mm-hmm. you know, the ION2 and reading a bit more research mm-hmm. about you know, meditation mm-hmm. and it's definitely opened that world more yeah. to me as well and it is a very powerful world and so I just wanted you to yeah. you talk to us a little bit from the meditations that you have um, in the book. Mm-hmm. I think there was one we had someone yeah, actually yeah I think we had a little break there um, the one where you actually talk about visualizing your autonomic nervous system, your vagus nerve. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. just powerful in yeah. visualization. Yeah. Um, I, I, the meditations came out of my, my workshop series that I created because I was, you know, finding a way to invite my participants into connecting with their nervous system in a way that was gentle and um, you know, offered opportunity for them to to connect without um, a demand for that. I think um, the nervous system will respond with a survival response when it feels a request or a demand. Um, So I want to make sure that everything is an invitation or an offering. Um, And the meditations seem to be a way to to provide an invitation to connect an offer of most of them start with you know close your eyes or simply open your gaze whichever feels right to you because again when you're working with the nervous system um, there's not a, a, a step process you don't go one to five because you never know what's going to be needed between one two, right so the meditations were, were a way, you know, the first one just, you know, visualizing the pathways of this amazing system that is your vagal system. And there's an image that goes with it. It's a beautiful image of, of all the branches of, of the vagus. And, you know, and then 
you know, I think the, the you know, autonomic navigation, um, one that helps you anchor in ventral and then gently descend to exploring sympathetic and, and dorsal. You know, in my work with, with clients, there's often, a, there's often imagery that goes with their states. And because it's a hierarchy, um, with ventral on the top, we often descend to sympathetic and dorsal, you know, down a mountain, down a, down a hill, you know, along a beach. There, there are all sorts of ways, but the, the imagery is very rich. So I wanted to bring imagery alive in the meditations. And, you know, the meditation I, I think I love the most is the last one, benevolence. Um, Steve once said that benevolence is the active ongoing use of ventral vagal energy in service of healing you know and i just loved that so i wrote a meditation that really invites people to to actively use their ventral vagal energy to not simply be in it which is wonderful and, and health giving and necessary but then to actively use your ventral vagal energy in service of helping others and i think that really is is um, you know a powerful um, message that, that we can impact other people's nervous systems in these powerfully wonderful ways through our ventral vagal, vagal state. So, you know, just a, a reminder that, you know, whether we're intentionally connecting or not, we, we can send these beautiful, um, welcoming, compassionate, kind energies out into the world. Mm -hmm. Lovely, very lovely. I think when we spoke previously, I said um, I'd mentioned when I was reading your meditation, what really connected with me in terms of the visualization of, of particularly your vagus nerve and where it was reaching down into di your digestion and everything kind of working in, in a healing manner reminded me of some research that I had read quite some time ago, but it was in the cancer field and um, in the immune, uh, immunology and they were actually having patients visualize, you know, the healthy, healthy cells, you know, rejuvenating and cancer decreasing and, and that they were tracking that and outcomes were very promising just through doing that visualization yeah. work. So yeah. another great way yeah. of healing our bodies. Yeah, the the research on guided imagery and visualization is pretty powerful. So yeah, if we can visualize our vagus and visualize um, what I like to, to do every time is visualize movement between states because again coming back to that flexibility so visualize we're, we're moving you know, between these states and getting to know them and coming back to ventral that reminding the nervous system that it has an inherent knowing about how to find its way back to ventral mm -hmm. right? I, I call ventral our, our home so it has its, it knows how to find the way home you know we just have to you know, open those pathways and remind it that it knows how to do that. So, yeah. And even in sports, you know, athletes, professional athletes, they have do a lot of visualization and there's research to really yes. um, back that up as well in terms of improving performance. Yeah. And they've done brain yes. scans and they see that when you're visualizing that those motor areas involved in those tasks come online mm -hmm. as well. Like they're rehearsing right. those things. So, yes. Yeah. Today, arena into our bodies, isn't it? Exactly. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Deb, I'm getting more aware of the time. Was there anything else you wanted to share in terms of helping 
practitioners mm. earn about polyvagal at all? Mm. Mm. We have covered a lot of ground here, haven't we? Yes, it's we been have. good. It's been yes. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think I think really the, the takeaway for me, or what I really like, people who come to my workshops or you know listen to talks to to understand is that it really is about um, understanding your own nervous system and regulating your own system before you can. Um, bring that to others or help others do it. You know, we, we therapists like to learn ways to practice and then use them with our clients. And, and this is sort of, you know, a, a different way of, of thinking about it. It's thinking, oh, this is about me, you know, in my own system first and then, you know, offering that to others. So, you know, it's just a, a real invitation to, if you're going to dive in, know that you're diving into your own system first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with that, tell us a little bit about some of the workshops that that you run, and you run them all around the world. I do, and I'm actually be in Australia in May. Yes, you're coming. Which is back. lovely. Um, Are you actually coming to my part of the world? I am up in Sunshine Coast. Oh well, I am for the first time. Yes. I'm doing two five-day workshops there. My, my, my preference nowadays is to do longer mm -hmm. workshops, you know, four or five-day workshops, which really allow people to, to get to know the work in a more deep way. Um, I run an intensive training program, which is um, either three three-day or four two-day weekends spread out over six or seven months with homework in between to really... Um, become a proficient polyvagal informed practitioner and then there are a lot of you know two days here and you know keynotes here and things like that but you know my 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 um, when people ask me what should they do I always say find the longest one that fits your circumstances and go for that one because the more you're in it the more you're going to really um, experience it from the inside out and take it away with you. So, you know, but I try to offer a variety. I'm just starting to think about doing some, um, some more online work because there's so many people who can't get to wherever it is I'm, I'm speaking. So, um, you know, in 2020, I think there'll be some more online offering opportunities, but yeah. The demand is huge. You know, it really is for, for, understanding how to bring polyvagal theory into all sorts of arenas and you know we're trying to train people to meet that demand so yeah lovely very lovely and i think there's for this kind of work um i think online is definitely you know a nice option that we can offer but i think to do the in person so you get that mm -hmm. nervous system to nervous system learning experience um yes is definitely yes where it needs to kind of absolutely i know it's it's so funny to think about doing online teaching of polyvagal when we're really talking about two nervous systems finding their way into connection right i mean our nervous systems are doing that but right. if i get to meet you when i come to australia it's going to be a very different experience right yeah which you will <laughs> good Most good yeah yeah yes. especially if you're in the coast uh, and then you're also coming to Australia to Good. be part of the uh, Australian Childhood Trauma Foundation. You're coming out to speak with, with Steve. 
And so tell us a little bit about what that presentation is going to be about. In, in August? In August, in, yeah. Is that what you yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm coming to the Australian Child Foundation in mm -hmm. August. I'm going to do, a, um, what am I doing? I think I'm doing a day long mm -hmm. and then I'm doing a, a, a keynote, I think. And, and yeah, you know, just sort of inviting people into this way of, of, of working. I think that my way of bringing polyvagal theory into application is to, you know, just teach people about their nervous system. I always do the personal profile map because I think it's so important. So people get an experience of their system and to bring into explicit awareness all of these implicit processes that are working all the time. When we bring them to explicit awareness, we can do something with them. We can talk about them. We can shape them differently. But if they remain in the background, we can't work with them. They, they, they just run the show. So, so yeah. Um, the Australian Child Foundation will be a really lovely place to you know, present and talk and, and uh, share my passion. I love sharing my passion for polyvagal. So, you know, my, my, my goal is to have people mapping all over the world. So there we go. Well, I know another a couple of exercises that you do as well, that we actually did it as part of the, the book group is when you do, you know, like a glare, you do the facial glare, oh. facial smile or the grimace and what did you notice um, within your yeah. own nervous system? And it was really interesting as a group for people to give their feedback of, of what they felt. So that really helped build that awareness. Yeah. Everyone's nervous system is yeah. just that bit different in how they pick up on those yeah. issues. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's a lovely point to, to, to remember here. And we never want to make an assumption about another nervous system, right? Because my response to an image, I show images when I talk about neuroception, when I teach neuroception. And after I've shown these images, I ask people in, in the group, you know, if somebody would share an intense response to one of those images and somebody will share a response. And then I say, so who had a different response to that image? Because we always have people that have all sorts of different responses to the same image because of the way we've been shaped through our experience, right? Our, our nervous system is shaped by our life experience. And so, you know, a lesson we learn really early when we're working this way is never assume that what my response is, is happening in your system, you know, and that's, you know, web, and the cues that are sent from the social engagement system through the eyes, you know, I do that stare, look, gaze, you, you stare, you look, you gaze, and just the very subtle shifts in the eye bring an intense response. And the survival response that you go into um, is based on your personal profile. So, you know, for, for me, um, in my life growing up, um, the, the safe survival place for me was dorsal disappearing. So my system, when it feels that challenge, when there's something dangerous, goes pretty quickly to that flavor of dorsal. I take a step back. I'm not really here. I'm kind of going through the motions. That's my survival response. Whereas I don't know what yours is. You know, yours may be the same as well. Many, for other people, you know, they immediately go to that sympathetic fight or flight, that real mobilizing energy, right? So in response to the same cue, we can have very different responses. 
And one's not right or wrong. And that's really, again, where we are with the nervous system. It simply is your biology responding. And, you know, just because one place and you go another doesn't mean anything except this is how our system was shaped, right? Yeah. I think learning that within a, a workshop experience makes it even more real for a practitioner. So then brings that awareness and they can then carry that into not only their family, but into, into their practice as well. So yes. Great learning yeah. experience. Yeah. I know I, I tell all my participants in the very first moment of the workshop, you know, first of all, you will learn how to work with other people, but you're really here to learn about your own system. And oh, by the way, um, it's going to be an exhausting ride because you're going to go through all of the states all the time. And, and really, I do that on purpose because I want us to remember that for many people who can't stay anchored in ventral and keep fluctuating through sympathetic dorsal in a moment in ventral, it is physically and emotionally exhausting to do that. You know, so, it, you know, if a client comes in and, and just has no energy to do the work that day, we can have compassion because their nervous system is exhausted. It's been trying to keep them safe, right? So again, it's this lovely understanding the biology really brings us into compassion and also gives us sort of a roadmap into, so what should I do now? You know, those two guiding questions that I would like to, I guess, put out there. What does my nervous system need in this moment to either come to ventral or stay anchored there? That's the first question. And then the second question, once I've answered that is, well, what does your nervous system need? Right? Because that's my guide. My guide is what does your nervous system need in order to find some safety or begin to move back to ventral? Those two guiding questions, you know, kind of lead from all of our work, right? All of our work. Even with SSP, you're asking the same thing. If you're, you know, supporting the listener, you have to be anchored in ventral first, and then you're helping the listener, you know, track where are you on your map? You know, I, I think all people should have a map because once you leave ventral, if you've gone to sympathetic or dorsal, the SSP protocol is no longer going to help you in this moment. Mm -hmm. So let me help you come back to having enough ventral in your system so that you can continue with this, right? That's really, yeah. I think you just said it beautifully, I, and I think I shared when we last talked, my goal is to develop a workshop where we embed a lot of your work and people, practitioners come and they go through the five-day protocol and so they learn mm. what that feels like and how we use mapping and polyvagal language to understand what's happening in your body and what we use, use to support that so they have that lived experience there's quite a lot of practitioners mm. who have not even tried putting themselves through to sort of see what it is what it is mm. like for their body and um and i think yeah. it's, it's really powerful to have that experience so you have that empathy that connection um to help support yeah. people yeah. Yeah. Uh, as well. Yeah. That would be a really beautiful workshop. That would be a lovely way way to do it. A five day workshop that embedded SSP and, and the principles would be great. And when you said, you know, practitioners who haven't done SSP themselves, mm -hmm. you know, it took me to, you know, I'm a I'm I'm a licensed therapist and one of the philosophies of being a therapist is we don't ask our clients to do something we haven't already, you know, tried. Mm -hmm. And I really think for um SSP um, practitioners that um, it, it should be a requirement that you 
do it yourself before you ever ask someone else to to do it because you need that lived experience you need to know how your nervous system responded and and what are some of the things that your client might experience so i hope i hope ssp practitioners will do that everybody will yeah. do it yourself first yes yeah. but i think we need to have the language where they know how to map so they're self-aware of what of what they're actually looking for as well yeah yeah it's beautiful yeah well Deb, is there anything Anything that we maybe haven't covered or that you would like to share? Yeah, I, think, I think we've done a pretty good job. I think we've I think done so. a anything, anything you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Good. Yes. <laughs> I have really loved this the second time around. Yes. Yeah. No, it's been mm -hmm. lovely. And um, mm -hmm. anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, that's good. I, ho I hope I get to. I hope I get to meet people. So if anybody's listening and mm -hmm. and comes to a workshop where I am, please come tell me that you listen to this. Yes. And, and let's let's share a moment yes. of ventral to ventral connection. That would be lovely. Yeah. Yes, yeah, lovely. And it is so nice when people do send feedback. I know when you get feedback from workshops, and I know when I. Yep. uploaded a, uh, a podcast you know I really just like, and it, it's that ventral vagal that sort of wanting to it connect is. I get so tickled when it I get is. an email about somebody and they pinpoint a particular discussion point in the podcast mm -hmm. that really resonated mm -hmm. for them and uh, yeah. it's a really nice feeling yeah. so if you're out there listening please send yes. either Deb um, or myself some feedback and we'll, we'll have the contact yeah. information yeah. at the end of the podcast and the YouTube as well. So um, without any ado, thank you again for your time the second time round and um, it's been so lovely speaking with you and, and sharing your work. And Loved it. I just enjoyed <laughs> it and um, we've still got a few more thank weeks you. to go in our book club but I'm definitely enjoying I've already oh, read good. it but it's nice to do it in a group setting and talk to other people. It is. Yes, yes, I agree. I think it's much nicer to do in a group. Yeah, there, there are a few book clubs going, and so it's lovely to hear about yours. I, I think that's really lovely. So, and then I'll smile. see you, and I'll see you in May when you come to Australia into my part of the world. I am looking forward to it. Can't wait. I will <laughs> see you in May. Again, a big thank you to Deb for round two of our interview. We'll have links to her website in the show notes. So you can find out more information about her book, speaking engagements and workshops. Speaking of workshops, I have some really exciting news to share. During May of this year, Deb is teaching two five-day workshops sponsored by Internal Family Systems Australia. These workshops are being taught in an absolutely stunning part of Australia, the Sunshine Coast. We have beautiful beaches, the rainforest and the Glasshouse Mountains. And this just happens to be where I live too. So what we have planned is a daily podcast sharing about each day of the workshop and we'll follow a few attendees as they embody the work. Deb explains the workshops are very experiential. So I'm excited to share the process. As always, if you'd like information about the Safe and Sound Protocols, in Australia, contact Integrated Listening Australia. For the rest of the world, contact Integrated Listening Systems Unite Health in Denver, Colorado.